Hey everybody, I'm Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get started on what we're talking about today proper, I wanted to A, thank everybody who's been listening to the podcast. We are very close to having 100,000 listens just of all time, which makes me very happy because I never thought that anybody would ever want to listen to anything I say about anything, much less about cartoons from Japan on the internet a hundred thousand times. It's very cool to make, to have that be a thing. So, um, if you have friends who you think might like to listen to this, get them, get them and make them listen. We can do it. We can get to a hundred thousand. We can make this happen. Um, but on that note, um, I definitely, if you haven't listened to the podcast, about um, Bullet Train, which is the live-action movie starting, starring Brad Pitt that recently came out, I think, last Friday? Or about, um, or the episode all about the merger of Crunchyroll and Crunchyroll, um, and, and, and the big deal anime, um, shop online right stuff anime called Sunday Edition Wrong Stuff. I encourage you to go listen to both of those. If you want a pretty in-depth conversation about the right stuff merger that's got more that's just got more that's just got more knowledge packed into it than I was able to provide, mostly because I was you'll hear I was in full anti capitalist Alex mode go flying off the handle because it does not take much imagination to see how that was bad for the industry, how that's bad for the industry and bad for us, the fans, ultimately. And hilariously, I think that it has been mostly received as like a net, as a net bad in the world of anime, which I think is fair. Um, But if you want a more in-depth kind of conversational thing about it, Give the latest episode of Anime World Order a try. And if you're listening to me and you haven't listened to Anime World Order before, you're welcome first. And wh- how, how did you get here, honestly? But on that note, let's jump into what we're talking about today. And that's a little movie called Inuo. ここがねになるその前に飛び込まなくては Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I am an actual creative person in the world. Like, I make money with my creative skill and talent. Um, one of the many things that, a, not, not a liberal arts degree, not like a community college communication program, like an actual art school degree gets you is this kind of exploration of multiple cultures, multiple perspective points in culture and all this other stuff because it's part of what is considered to be a full education in the arts. And in and hilariously in art school, the one of the funny one of the running jokes of art school grads like me is we go to art school because there's no math and there's no gym. And there's no because there's no real academics. Aside from one, and that is a kind of a writing and literature thing. 
And in my writing in Lit course, one of the things that we did was we read not the whole, we didn't read like the whole Bible or the whole Quran or the whole Bhagavad Gita, but we read select passages from all of them that really represented um, that, like, each cultural place they were coming from. And as part of that, we ended up reading um, a little bit of no, of um, traditional no stories. And I'm not going to lie, like, that, having that knowledge helped me in this movie, and also being pretty steeped in anime and seeing how no theater and no stories have affected the way anime portrays things helps when you go to see this when if you go to see this or if you see this like if this comes out on netflix like three weeks later or something but let's get into um inuo as it is so inuo is the latest film from um misaki yuasa uh, and his studio, Sainsaru. And they are really... They, they've really turned out some bangers. I mean, if you... If you don't follow Yuasa and you don't follow Sainsaru, um, Sainsaru is responsible for some really phenomenal... Some really phenomenal work. Mostly, they are... F they are responsible for work on like big budget titles things we're talking things like ping pong the animation we're talking things like um and actually this, this will come into play in um my thoughts about inuo hike monogatari um they did a bunch of they did a bunch of beautiful stuff for star wars visions alongside other greats like studio trigger they also did um a, the last movie i saw in theaters with my friend kie IKA before the pandemic, and that was um, Ride Your Wave. They also did um, Don't Touch. They also did Azokun. The list kind of goes on because, one, and actually, they did one of my kind of like favorite, like almost anime mumblecore movies called. Um, called, um, I call it an anime mumblecore movie, called The Night is Short Walk-On Girl. And they also, they're doing a really, I haven't dived into it yet, although with my, like, with my interest in VR, I definitely will. They're doing currently this season Yuri Deco, which is all about a world that is essentially a VR world that is governed by likes and hearts and stuff like that. So they have this track record of doing these really beautiful films, of, do, of doing really beautiful, really visually arresting work that is less about the anime aesthetic, although it's certainly there, and more about a raw appreciation for animation. And I don't want to say that like no anime studio loves animation. But so much of the anime styling and the styling of the genre of anime has a pretty distinct look. Has a look that you would probably recognize. And one of the thing, one of the ways to stand out, one of the ways Science Saru has found to stand out, is that they are purposely not producing that look in many cases. And what that means is you have a much freer style that that runs closer to like American animators in some cases like Bill Plimpton or American animation like really experimental American animation really experimental animation in general like you you watch things and you see moments of um the triplets of Belleville in some of their work. You see, like, a sketchy, super expressive 
artistry to the kind of animation that they're choosing to do. And this translates to Inuel beautifully. And it also gives them... It gives them the ability to tackle things in a way that other studios don't because they are trying to produce this... And I'm not saying either way is right or wrong, but Science Saru stands out because it's so... It's so purposeful in its stylization. That gives Science Saru the ability to tackle things from a... much freer standpoint many times than you would imagine from a studio like um that still produces incredibly beautiful things uh, from a studio that's like say um like studio sunrise like if you look at gundam hathaway which is if you haven't seen gundam hathaway and you have a netflix subscription literally what are you doing turn this off Go watch Gundam Hathaway. Have you not seen Gundam? It doesn't matter. It's one of the most beautiful things on Netflix. It is jaw-droppingly stunning. And jaw-droppingly atmospheric. But it also looks the way you expect a, high, a ultra-high budget, throw-all-the-money-at-it anime to look. It gets into that like Princess Mononoke territory of look and feel. Uh, and Science Saru is clearly <laughs> like a bunch of artists who just look, who just get their hands on money and then just immediately light piles of money on fire and go insane with their own creativity. And I think one of Yuasa's real talents is taking all of that and focusing it and making it all feel cohesive to itself. If you look at something like um, Devilman Crybaby, which is also his, it is certainly an anime. It is probably one of the more traditional anime looking things he's produced, but it's also, it's like so visually arresting. It manages to do the kind of end-of-world aesthetic that Evangelion does, but also, but it also does it with like a creative flair and like a joy for creation that is that you don't get in something like Ava because Ava is so concerned. Even the um, new Ava movies are so concerned with like. generating a feeling in you that they are very committed to these like static to these very static looking images and you can in most cases in a show like Ava you can pause Ava and it will give you a good frame in Inuo you have a more traditional squash and sh in Inuo and lots of Misaki Yuasa's work you have a lot more like squash and stretch feel, you have a lot more traditional animation feel. It, his pencil test will not look like the pencil test at the end of um, Ava 3.0 plus 1.0. His pencil test will look much sketchier. They will still be beautiful, but they'll be much more of an artist sketchbook instead of a perfectionist sketchbook. Because if you look at, um, one of the things that people hate about Ava, the original series, is they hate the ending. And they hate the ending because, like, it, it, scream, it, it screams that they didn't have enough budget. And that was true. But also, it was a complete idea. And one of Anno's biggest regrets is that the fandom turned on him when he presented, not like an an all-budget, an all-budget, no-hold-bar idea to end. But when he ended it in a more quiet, less bombastic way. And so when he went to end his, you know, foursome of movies, he did something similar. He did, the pe he did a pencil test move. But it feels... 
really self-aware, it feels really calculated, it feels really controlled, because clearly he has the money, and he is making the same choice he kind of made with the first Ava, but he's making it more intentionally, and he's making it with way more control, and that's part, partly that's him being like, fuck you, I ended it the way I wanted. But with Science Saru and Misaki Yuasa, they're very clearly making these creative choices under no duress of budget or anything. They are making these creative choices because that's the choice they want to make. That's the styling they want to do for each film. And if you look at their film, they all feel similar, but they don't quite styly match up. If you look at, um, if you look at his film, The Night is, Sh the Night is Short, Walk On Girl, it looks very different than In UO. And the reason why I'm saying all this is because I want to see a, I want to see a movie it was visually incredible, and it was absolutely amazing. And then I went to, I actually subscribed to the New York Times because I'm an East Coast asshole. Take for that what you will, I guess. And I read the review. And they talked about the story and how the story got lost and how the story, like... It, Good luck make good luck following the story if you haven't read the source material. And the source material is actually not a manga, it's a novel. And the novel as far as anyone knows, I think, doesn't have an English translation currently. Which means that you can't go read the source material to understand the things that they very clearly cut from this. And my guess is they cut it for A, time, and B, you know, interest in a potential audience. Because what they do with this is they find, is they find, is they find, and this is often true of most, of many adaptations of any kind, is they find really the story they want to tell, and they, and they drive it and they really drive it home. So the story that they want to tell is actually not so much about Inuo. Inuo is the character that the story ends on, but he's not the story that he's not the character largely that the story takes as your perspective character. And it it's very careful to remind you at a point that your perspective character was Tomina of, um, and he, and Tomina comes from a small village, that, um, I think called Dan no, called Dan no Ora, and it's a small fishing village, but it was also the site of this big battle of the Hike, of the Hike clan against a different clan in ancient Japanese myth and history. And much of much of no theater and the and what this shows what this what this film is actually about which is knows like which is the thing that no comes from and the thing that no was before it turned into exactly what it is now um is a combination of myth legend and history and it's all linked together, and it usually has some, um, it usually has some core principle it wants to talk about. Whether that be greed, whether that be lust, whether that means discrimination, something like that. It usually has, like, a core moral it's trying to impart. A great modern-ish modern example of this is if you've ever watched any of, like, even a, an episode of, um, Dor of Dororo, the, um, the, what's his face, um, 
the Osama, the story originally penned by Osama Tezuka, that, and a lot of Tezuka's works function, are functionally kind of like, um, no stories, for the reason they can have strong, they can have strong moral bad in them, that is, like indescribably evil and Dororo shares a lot of um shares a lot of DNA with Inu with the Inuo property in general and so one of the things that this story starts with is it starts with a kind of rough telling of the of Japan being split in two and there being two emperors fighting over who's the real emperor emperor. And the emperors want to find these ancient mystical relics. And you see and the story actually opens up on um Tom on on uh, on our main on our objective main character, Tomona. And Tomona is diving and he's diving for fish and crabs and stuff and that's his family's business so he dives for fish and crabs and he brings them up and he sells them and one day he's diving and he comes up and everybody's gathered around his family's residence and, fi and fish market and he runs in and it's these two uh, members of the noble court of one of the shoguns and they say we're looking for this thing can you can you got can this can you dive and find it? And the father says, "Yeah, sure. Me and my son will do this." And it's this mystical sword that supposedly exists, but nobody's seen it. And the movie opens with this image of a mother and son like strapped to a box and being thrown in the sea, and like and like being. Pl and plunging in, plunging down to the depths of the sea. Tomina and his father find this sword, and the the court the the imperial court the two imperial court guys they open it they open it, and Tomina's father draws the sword, and there's a big flash of light that illustrates this big ring of light all all the way be along the horizon. And all of a sudden, Tomina's father is dead, and Tomina is rendered blind, permanently blind. Now, I want to point something out here. This is not what happens in Dororo. We'll get to what happens in Dororo, but this is a father taking a job and it fucks up. He, he had no ill will aimed at his son and you find and through the show's treatment of his like ghost who follows Tomino around later he you find out that he loves his son and like he even in the afterlife he's trying to like illuminate guideposts for his son not to fuck it up and so Tomino's rendered blind blind, his father is dead, and his mother is like, what the fuck happened? Why is my why is my husband dead and my kid blind? What the fuck? And the Imperial Court guys takes a sword and leave. And that will illustrate kind of, and this is true of a lot of, um, this is true of a lot of um, no stories is that will illustrate kind of the imperial court and the emperor's role in this story. If they are unfeeling, they're unfeeling, self-serving rulers who see the people as a useful thing, as a as a asset to be used but not really truly cared for, if that makes any sense. And... Eventually, Tom Tomino Tomino's mother 
says you have to find a purpose like you're blind but go find a purpose and so he starts wandering he becomes a blind wanderer and eventually he becomes part of this group of Biwa monks and they are these monks who are largely blind who play a Biwa which is essentially like a big old lute, big old Japanese I think it's four string lute and they tell these tales and at this point, No is, like, taking shape, and it's got a different name. I forget what the name of it is, what the name of the performance art, it, what the name of No was for Got Fell on No on no Storytelling. But these, these Biwa monks oftentimes accompany a flute player and dancers who perform for the imperial court or the emperor and there are these there's this rigid set of stories about the hike and about the fall of the hike and that and much of true kind of japanese tradition much of no is about perfecting the performance of these stories. It's not about creating new stories, it's about perfecting the performance of the stories that as they exist. And the Emperor is a huge fan of No, and he, like, has these... He, It seems like he has very illicit affairs with the, with the young men who are the dancers. It, it seems pretty clear. Um, but he also, like, he has these he has these young men and boys perform for him and like he has his favorite troupe and his favorite troupe is favored by the court so they have a good life but here's where we run into the comparison to Dororo and the comparison to like Noah as a larger storytelling tool is much of what No deals with and much of what yokai stories, which are in many ways related to No stories, deal with. They deal with a element that, it, that functions in a way kind of like the devil. In that it, these elements prey on specific people's desires to achieve something. Something that is not worth the effort that the, the monkey paw curling that occurs for it to be achieved. And in Doro, they, what they do is they, what the father, what Doro's father ultimately does is he trades his son's all but life for the prosperity of his to a, like, hall of fucking demons, I'm not kidding, for the prosperity of his prefecture, since he's the lord of a, of a rural prefecture. And the story of Dororo is largely, is, is almost entirely about Dororo going on a journey and being helped to go on that journey and gaining his body and life back from those demons who were given his body and life by his father before he was born. In, um, in Inuo's case, what his father traded trade Inuo's, like, physical, physical normal being for is a is the ability to perform like the perfect no performance and the ability and the ability to gather new stories about the hike and what that means is he and this is all presented in a really I'm doing a much more linear version of this than it was presented in this is presented in bits and pieces and the movie is really straight up telling you like 
take all these pieces and fit and complete the puzzle. But we trust that you're, and I love this movie for this, we trust that you're smart enough to rearrange this timeline and see where it makes sense. What he ends up having to do is, what Inyo's father ends up having to do is kill these Biwa monks. Because what this evil no-mask tells him is, there are, there are other stories of the Hike gotten from the village of Hike survivors by these blind Biwa monks. Each monk carries their own story. Go find them and take their lives and their story. And so he does. And he gets more stories that are apocryphal. That can, that can add to the canon. So what he basically did was he made a deal with the devil to have a creative font that he can drain in exchange for turning his own son into a monster. A like totally... And they never show you the full... I think this is actually good. They, ne they never show you his, like, Inuo's full grotesque form. They let you... They let you understand it, but they don't let you... They let you, un they let you accept it, but they don't let you understand it. Which I think is a really great touch for this movie. And so, on one hand, you have the Imperial Court reaching out to a random fishing village, which is already the site of, like, a massive slaughter in history. And essentially destroying a family. And on the other hand, you have the Imperial Court setting up a scenario in which a f father sacrifices his son so he can remain in the good graces of the court. Which is really what he does. And yes, he's, you know, selfish and unconcerned with the consequences and all that stuff. But he is given a ability to, to readily trade his son's future for his present. And he hopes his future. And... From then on, Inuo is kind of is is an is an ugly outcast who lives but isn't allowed to live. Um. Op isn't allowed to live and isn't allowed to prosper the way he would if he was like a normal kid. If he was a normal child of his family, he would be part of this no group, and he would inherit his father's. You know, he would inherit his father's business. He would inherit his father's performance troupe but it's telling in his father's self like narcissism and self-centeredness that his father was like and they show this pretty late in the movie his father was like take him just take him absolutely I will give you my firstborn take him don't need him and What Inuo is unaware of is that he is surrounded by the spirits of the he of the Hike, who have their own stories to tell. And Tomina um, ultimately changes his changes his changes his name to like basically be able to work as a Biwa monk. And his father pleads with him, no, please don't, don't change your name. I won't, I won't be able to find you as a spirit if you change your name. Tomina does it anyway. And Tomina eventually encounters Inuo on a bridge. And Inuo keeps his face hidden behind this, like, what they call a ground mask, but really looks like a flat gourd with, like, two eye holes at, like, very different places than eyes should be. It... It bears a kind of an almost similarity 
to the kind of math that top that um that um Madara wears as Tabi and um now to ship it in. But Tomina and but Tomina is blind, so a lot of Inuo's issues, all almost all of Inuo's issues are visual. He is still a functioning human. Like he looks horrific, I'm sure, under all the things he uses to hide himself. But he's got an arm that tra that's so long it trailed behind him like the scarf from that video game, um, Dandera, and. He's got legs that are, that are uneven. But there's a moment right before he meets, um, right before he meets Tomina, where he's trying to practice the dance that they're doing for his family's, um, that his father's trying to perfect with very, with very little success, um, in his in his no troop, in his young no troop, um, dancers. And when, when Inuo perfects it, he, all of a sudden you see this, like, gathering of red, of almost red fireflies, and his le and his short leg grows to the length of his other leg. And that's your first cue of what's about to happen. So, this is where the story really starts to, like... This is where the story clearly starts to fall away. Is what I'll say. It's after Tomona and Inuo meet, the, the, like... The traditional story trappings of this fall away. And what I've, what I've, al what I've already told you is... Presented in a way less linear fashion... And it's presented all over the place than it's presented in the film. But this is where the story in the film starts to, like, be shaky. But it's also where the film really starts to hit its visual stride. And one of the things they said in the New York Times article that I mentioned earlier, which I might link to, um, is... After a while, the reviewers stopped caring about the story. It was just like, you do not go see this movie for the story. You're not going to understand it unless you know anything about no and, like, the, like, treatments of morality in no theater. You're going to see it because it's beautiful. He did say that sometimes it was a little repetitive feeling, but it, at all times, it was visually stunning and both of those are true there's a little bit of a repetitiveness just because of the passage of time and the way the story is told but it's always just dripping style and beauty and like excellent composition and visual storytelling and it's incredibly it's it's an incredible looking thing in in much the same way that if we're going to reference a different um, powerhouse director and studio, in much the same way that Paprika is just absolutely visually gorgeous and arresting, this film is. So after Inuo and Tomina meet, the film does a not great job of illustrating a time skip. And, then and illustrating the fact that after the initial, like, jam session that Inuo and Tomina have on the bridge, where Inuo is like, can you play that Biwa? And he's like, absolutely. And he plays, and, um, Tomino, Tomino see sees through his ears, basically, um, Inuo dance. He, they become fast friends. And the reason they become fast friends is because, and this is, uh, another reason I love this movie, they are both disabled. Only over time, what happens is a kind of reversal of the, like, relationship of their disabilities to each other. So, when Inuo and Tomina first meet, 
Inuo is the less socially acceptable form of disabled. He is the more physically disabled. Tomona is just blind. He is otherwise a totally healthy, functional person. By the end of this movie, that has flipped because Inuo has told all his stories of the Hike and regained his body back and is now this like beautiful specimen of a human and Tomona is still blind and still committed to doing what they had wanted to do in the first place and by the end of the movie the the Emperor and the Imperial Court have twisted the screws in the way that they that only they can to ensure a tragic ending. But we're not there yet. So what they proceed so after they've been friends for a while, Tomona hears Inuo singing one day and he's awe-inspired. And he they basically have a conversation that goes something along the lines of like, why aren't you performing? And he's like, because my dad won't let me because I'm, I don't know if you noticed, I'm kind of a freak and I don't know why. And then he remembers that Tomina has had experiences seeing his father as a spirit and he says, you can see spirits. Do I have any around me? And he and Tomina, having changed his name to a name that's not really um, important right now. Um, said, like, reached out to his father. His father finds him and is like, oh, thank God I found you again after you changed your name, you dumbass. He's like, does, does my friend Inuo have any spirits around him? And that's when you see all these, and this is like, this is, this is the accidental genius of anime in some cases. If you see these little red dancing, like, kind of like fire-like spirits, and they feel along the same lines as the, as the, um, as the Kodama from, um, Princess Mononoke. They feel like you can sell a keychain of these motherfuckers, and they will be collectible. And it's great. And these spirits are the spirits where are the spirits that Inuo gets the untold stories of the Hike from. And so what Tomina and so what Tomina and um, Inuo start doing is they put together these massive and really pretty elaborate street performances where Tomina, who changes the name to Tominari, which translates to We Are, is the kind of like rock and roller promoter sex god Biwa player who spins this tale about this deformed monster who's regaining his... and he spins this... he tells the story of the deformed monster who's regaining his humanity by sharing the untold stories of the fallen Hike. And Inuo, under the bridge, has this whole elaborate setup in which, like, they make a point of showing that, like, there are lots of... there's, like, a whole circus troupe involved in making these things go absolutely perfectly and absolutely awesomely. And... Inuo is performing these, like, rock opera stage pieces all about the, like, traditional no stories that no one at this point has heard. And what ultimately ends up happening is people leave those old, crusty no stories and they, like, go to the bridge on Saturday night and they rock out. And each time they finish telling a story... And this is part of the sales pitch that um, now Tominari, formerly um, Tomina, 
like tells them in his like awesome you know rock and roll way is each time Inyo finished telling a story he gains another part of his body back as it was always supposed to be and this all bubbles to a head ultimately because the like this is like a they have made themselves into ro absolute rock stars and they have made themselves into like I, they made themselves into, like, rock and roll idols, almost. Um, and so, like, they've had, like, lunch with bureaucrats. They've, like, hung out with all these, with all these people. And, like, they have all, they both changed. They both changed and not changed. And, but the entire time they have remained committed to telling these stories that have been, that have been, they start to understand not shared about the Hike because the Hike was losers. And the thing about history, and this is always true, history is largely written by the winner. And the these stories of the Hike are not are certainly not government sanctioned and the and the Emperor and the um, emperor start to direct the imperial court like the, the we can't have this we can't we can't have public theater for the masses that shit's for me and he gets really in a huff but his wife is so enthralled by what she's heard about you know Tominari and the like rogue performer of her husband's favorite theater troupe who went out and started his own thing she wants them to perform so the the emperor invites the emperor invites them to perform for his wife which is just not an uncommon super rich super rich thing to do like oh my wife really likes you if I don't like you let's let's get you in here scuffle you out and like make you sign a thing on your way out that accidentally makes it so you can never perform again but what Inuo's own father does is he ends up saying like the only and, and he sees Inuo changing back this entire time like all of a sudden his like weird little gremlin hobgoblin of a kid is now this full grown man with like a beautifully sculpted Italianate sculpture of a body. And by the end by the end of the by that point in the movie, the only thing left is that he's wearing a mask because his face is the last thing that has to change back. And by all understand by all accounts and their un and by Inuo's understanding and by Tominari Slash Tomina's understanding of what the fuck is happening here. If he performs, his face will change back by the end, and he'll be able to take his mask off. So when Tomina, so when Inuo's father is like, the only thing is you have to take your mask off in the performance, at at as part of the performance. Inuo's like, yeah, fine. And they ha they had this like like luncheon scene where they're like eating with bureaucrats and it, at that point you see Inuo is the like very he's the social one of the two in, in this in this friendship he's the like extrovert like we'll talk to you we'll drink with you the whole mine but Tominari's off to the side like yeah he's this big sexy rocker guy but he's doing this with and for his friend. He's doing this as kind of a way to rage against a world that has taken advantage of him. Since he was like seven, basically. And a world that has scarred him in a way that he will never get back. But he became friends with and found a way to help someone who could get something back from this world that had fucked him over.
and you really feel that in that mo in that moment when they're still like best friends and like <laughs> Tominari does not care about like drinking with the big wigs. But like as soon as he's like, nah, I'm cool, I don't really need a drink Inyo's like, Ah, it's cool, I'll just hang out here with you then. You seem like so much more fun to know that whole who didn't give me a time of day when I still had scales on my back and a furry ape chest. And it's just like... The whole movie has this unyielding, beautiful friendship that in no way ever is one not considering the other. Even in moments when they believe... when one believes the other has lost... has isn't being, when one believes the other isn't considering them, that is purposeful on behalf of outside parties. So we draw to the last performance, the last major, the last performance of the show. And the last performance of the show is vi it's very different. It is unlike anything else that they've done before. It is big, it is Tominari, Inuo, on stage together performing and it's this big ball it's this big beautiful ballet sequence and Inuo realizes his face isn't changing and now he has to take his mask off and now he realizes the trap that was about to hap that was about to happen to him which is the this which is this that they wanted him to take his mask off so that he frightened the pregnant empress enough where it was deemed and she lost the baby and it was deemed a capital offense and they'd be put to death and then the emperor problem would be solved and this was his father's plan this and the emperor's plan key point because with his own son out of his way the emperor would be free the his father would Inuo's father would be free to be the talk of the royal court again he would regain his status which he had lost through Inuo just kicking ass and taking names and being absolute fucking rock star and his father's a petty piece of shit um and that's once again more shared DNA through the concept of like no theater with a story like um, Dororo from, um, from Tezuka. But what they both quickly realized is that there is another story they can tell. There is a last story they can tell. A last story of the Hike they can perform. And that's their story. That's the performer. That's the story of the performers who have kind of like given their lives over to this cause of performing these untold tales. And in doing so, they expose Inuo's father. And kind of the royal court. Which isn't going to be hurt by this. But Inuo's father will. Um, as the thing. As the thing that they are. And as the self-serving kind of douchebags that they are. And in this moment. Inuo's father turns back to the evil no mask. Who he made a deal with. To give Inuo to. To gain the story of the Hike that he now had become famous for performing. And this is the thing. This is the monkey paw of it. <laughs> this is the robot devil of it. The no mask is like, you want me to kill the child, your child who you gave to me. Because he's not doing something, because he's doing something that threatens your fame. And, and without hesitation, 
in your own father, like, absolutely end him now. And <laughs> Nomak is like, nope. This time it's you. And just paints the walls with the guy. And he's removed of the problem. He's like, absolutely gone. Just like, splatter gore all over the walls. And you realize that was the Nomax's goal. And the Nomax disappears. And then we get to the true sadness of the story and the true... The, and then we get to the true core moral of the story in case you didn't get it from don't be a shitbag in case you didn't get enough moral from don't be a shitbag to your own family for your own gain because it will always fuck you in the end in that when Inuo takes his mask off his face is magically better and the and having not worked the having not worked the imperial court does the thing that you can do to silence dissent in a real understandable way is that he invites Inuo to become a performer for the emperor and Inuo is like absolutely i would love to it's it's the recognition i never got from my father i will absolutely take his motherfucking job. And then you get a scene a little later on where the court where the emperor says you are an unbelievably talented performer, beautiful in every way. But I'm gonna need you to stop performing your your story. The stories that are not in the official record. And he's like, and what if I don't? And and, and instantly in you I was like, yeah, what if what if I don't, don't fucking feel like it? And this is the real insidiousness of this movie, and this is the real insidiousness of this movie all along. The Emperor simply says that it would be a shame what could happen to all of your friends to your friend to that young to that Tominari boy and Inuo instantly realizes what what's happening he instantly understands what's standing in front of him what's standing in front of him is a choice that only the only the people of privilege can can have the right to offer or make tr or truly make it is either you keep performing your stories and we kill everyone you love or you stop performing your stories never speak to them and they are safe for the rest of their days unless they fuck it up and Inuo instantly is like this, uh, this can't be a hard choice. I choose my friend's life. And he cuts ties with Tominari, essentially abandoning him for his own good. But Tominari isn't ready to give it up. He wanted to do the thing with his friend, with his best friend. And eventually, he changes his name back to Tomina of of Dan no Aura. And he changes his name back to Tomina of Dan no Aura because he realizes that name represents the truth. That was not... That he let the world slowly strip away from him. It represents the truth about a young boy whose family was taken advantage of by the people in power. It represents the source of a kind of evil. And what I haven't said till now, I'm going to kind of end on. And the, and the thing that 
the New York Times article that I brought up a couple times now keeps focusing on is this sword. Once that sword is plucked from the sea and kills Tominari's father and blinds Tominari, it's just kind of like assume like, oh, this is definitely a holy relic sheathed, and it's like put on display and nobody fucking touches it. But occasionally, throughout the movie, they'll pan back to it shaking and crying blood as a kind of omen. And it seems to do that when there is something claimed by either party. It does that when you know, they, when they claim the stories. It does that when the emperor claims like rights over people he shouldn't and it is this kind of visual indicator of shifts in time and it shifts in the story in which way the fortune is being favored and that's not that's not an uncommon motif in anime it's not even an uncommon motif in um, animation. If you look at Beauty and the Beast, the rose in Beauty and the Beast that's losing its petals is used in a similar way. And just, but the visual, the visual storytelling in this film is top notch. It's it's really incredible. If you have the opportunity to go see this in a theater. Or a really big projection. I encourage you to go do it. I don't know. How much longer it's playing. Or where. It's, or if it's playing by you. I know that I went to into the city. Specifically to see it. And the theater was not packed. Uh, but. I also saw this movie. And I thought like. This is G-Kids thing. Like G-Kids also put this out. I should be clear. Um. G-Kids has a history at this point of putting out beautiful pieces of animation. Um, they, they put out um, Saratobi Miss Hakusai. They put out The Secret of Kells. They put out pieces, pieces of animation filmmaking that are kind of the best in their class in some way. And that has inevitably taken them to lots of anime films. They put out, um, they put out, uh, Pompo the Cinephile. And they have this commitment to animation as an art form that is real, that is really excellent to see. And this, with putting this movie out, they, they've kind of strengthened their bona fides as far as I'm concerned because this film is in so many ways in conversation with the medium of animation as an art form. There's a very pretty in like the last performance of the movie in the last like musical performance of the movie there is a visual of a dragon flying across multiple panes of a Japanese of an open Japanese um, estate and it so feels like the first animatic of a horse running that like if you know your animation history you instantly see it and you instantly see this appreciation of animation as an art form and a storytelling medium that it can be really easy to forget about in the like weekly shuffle of simulcast in the understanding that animation is an art form that is pretty thoroughly commercialized and it's I think one of the beautiful things about this movie and about its story, even if its story is certainly flawed, is that it's about 
the want to decommercialize an art form and the fight against the like control and commercialization of it all and I think that's pretty important call me a weirdo art school kid but I think that's pretty important on that note if you like this episode new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday um, so you will be getting a new Sunday edition this Sunday since this is the second Thursday edition in a row which means you get a Sunday edition um, I'm thinking about doing my Sunday, the Sunday edition this, um, this Sunday about IPs and about brands in anime, which if you're like, what does he mean? You'll find out when you get there, but just know it has a lot to do with Dragon Ball Z showing up in Fortnite. On that note, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. I will talk to you on Sunday. Kore yori, atarashii monogatari wo hajimetai to zonjimasu. Shinsaku? Kimi warai. Nakukumu danari shoutan jia. Inou no maki o shiran no ka? Hidoi kiryou rashi. この手を外すとどうなる。ほれ。見えないのだ。俺の名はトモナ。実はもう決めてある。決めた。自分でか。ピエサの舞台にその名を轟かす。実装天外噂の舞台。<笑> 時より思うより変わりの犬の巻。釣られて踊る。犬や。俺たちはここにある。だ。気を極めるにはまだ。今こそなのれ。あいつらの挑発は何じゃ。金輪際ピアホースターが別の勢力が広がるのは困るのだ。俺たちが暴れれば暴れるほど、こいつらもまるで主だな。ない。まだ拾えていない拾えてない話俺たちはここにあるだろともあれ知ってほしいんだよ自分たちはこの世にいたことを